Testing, testing. It's on. One, two, one, two. Microphone checker. Microphone wrecker. Microphone picker, picker. <laughs> Alright, let's give this a shot. What is life? What does it mean to heal? I'm a human. Hello, hello? Anybody there? Why are we here? What does this mean? Let's figure it out together. That's fun. Just to come play. Play in the podverse. What are we doing? This is the Turning of the Bones podcast. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Turning of the Bones podcast. I am your host, Colby Marie. Thanks for joining me. It is a bit of a delayed podcast this week. My apologies to all of my listeners for the delay. I had some technical difficulties last week, some problems with the streaming service, my internet, recording. Just kind of hit a wall there. Then I uh, got something recorded. When I went back and listened to it, I, w- I don't think I'm quite ready to release it. It wasn't it wasn't a fully cooked idea. I took a, a a shot at doing a podcast about cancel culture. This Joe Rogan. Just the topic of Joe Rogan and the mistakes he's made having a podcast over the last however many years. And when I went back and listened to it, it was a really big topic and I hadn't quite I hadn't quite dialed in my speech about some of the things. So so my apologies for not getting one out last week. I'm gonna do two this week. I've got an exciting one lined up today and on topic I was when I sat down and thought about it my special educator brain kind of got into it and I wanted to start the conversation with what an apology is and what taking like what's accountability and so I think that's where we're going to jump in today that's that's what's on board it is an absolutely frigid morning here in Denver, Colorado. I feel like a contemporary Dixonian character. I'm all bundled up today recording in my corner with the electric heaters off because they make a lot of background noise. So I tried to warm this place up a bit. I had the oven open and we're just going to give this a shot. I'm sitting in the, the cold brick corner that's all padded where I record this. Got on my slippers, got on my hoodie. Uh, got out early this morning, took the dog out. She had a, a lovely time. But it is just cold. I'll tell you what, uh, there are some... I have these beautiful lilies right now that are sitting on the table here where I'm recording and they're just absolutely brilliant. They're probably like eight or ten inches in diameter and just a beautiful floral arrangement. Trying to remind myself that spring is coming. Quite a bit of winter left but the days are getting longer 
and yeah, I just love having flowers around my place. I try to buy them every week. I bought an orchid about two or three weeks ago. Going to give that another shot. I'm historically not very successful at growing orchids, but this one looks healthy so far. These lilies are healthy. My lily, the pup lily, the pup is healthy. So let's let's jump into this. Accountability. I, I think a lot about this in my life because this was really a game changer for me. And it's a pretty complex topic. It sounds really simple. And there's just a lot of online discourse be positive or negative about accountability holding people accountable accountable cancel culture and i think just rewinding this like how would i teach accountability to a teenager and so i would when i was breaking this down it ties back into something i mentioned a couple podcasts ago this question i've been asking myself about what kind of society do we want to live in? You know, we have all these social norms that, so we can successfully live among strangers, which is pretty rare for mammals. We're pretty unique. You think you all probably know we are social creatures. We depend on our parents much longer than a lot of other mammals. We depend on community. And it's a huge measure of you know our happiness our our connection to others our ability to navigate social dynamics and so we have all these social norms that we've kind of agreed upon like no shirt no shoes no service we've agreed that animals can't you know your pets can't hang out indoors in a restaurant for health and safety reasons we've agreed that seat belts should be mandatory in cars. We've agreed that smoking indoors is taboo now. And we have all these social norms, and some of them fluctuate depending on the times. And I think this is an interesting time with the resurgence of cancel culture and the language around it. I don't think cancel culture is anything new. I think we've been excommunicating and kicking people out of the groups when they or kind of past redemption for thousands of years the speed at which that seems to be happening online and just the the dialogue around it right now seems to be turned up and so the fear of being cut off from your social group or your friends or your family is and an, it's an ancient fear and I think we all share that and I think that one of the best things I heard when I was getting ready to do this podcast was something that Sonia Shaw said, and she works for the Ahimsa Collective. She said, accountability is a radical way of choosing to stay in relationship with one another. And that choosing to stay in relationship with one another, we, we, we recognize the truth that we are either, we're neither all good or all bad, and that we're all going to hurt one another at some point. It's just an inescapable truth. I could be a really great person to somebody, and I could be somebody's villain. And that's, I think that's just a fundamental truth that we don't get taught, that 
when we're little, especially in this country, that we're complex and over the course of a lifetime, the way in which we stay in relationship to one another after we've caused harm is by learning how to take accountability. And a lot of people agree, and this was the common the common thread that I found in the common approach was that accountability is really a three-part process. It's which is super complicated, but <laughs> on the surface, if you just if you want the quick, the quick and the short of it, it's you make you you apologize, you make you recognize the impact that you've had on the other person. You make sorry, this is four four parts. You apologize, you make amends, and then you change your behavior to avoid causing harm in the future. And that's an incredibly complex process. And so I'm going to break that down and what we call that in special ed is scaffolding. And so I'm going to kind of go through and just strip how my brain looks at, like strip it apart the way my brain looks at it. And maybe that'll be helpful for you. But I think this is something... that should be an ongoing conversation in the society that I want to live in, that we're talking about accountability, we're in touch with accountability to ourselves and our values and our beliefs, and we do inventories around those, and then we're also accountable to one another. And that's how I think we could build community, we could heal a lot of the stuff that, you know, the patriarchy, toxic masculinity, colonialism, capitalism has kind of separated us. And if you look at how so many of the neighborhoods in this country are laid out, it's like we're very separate from one another. Even though we may live in communities, there are fences. I know that I feel more of a sense of community in an urban area where we're packed in on top of each other. Like I know my neighbors, I know the people who work at the stores around me. But once you get out into the suburbs or in the country, it's kind of like, I think there's this legacy of being afraid of others that, uh, that is just a byproduct of colonialism. Uh, it's it's a intense fear of the unknown and i think that accountability is like truly truly you know in this really brave way whether you're taking accountability for how your behaviors don't line up with your values or how you act when you're experiencing cognitive dissonance like when you do something that you know to be bad you kind of have that 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 guilty shameful feeling i think that for me, it's just been a it's been a life changing experience to be in an ongoing relationship with accountability, and I worked a bit with this in the schools, doing restorative justice circles with students, and teachers and staff, and so I want to start with the common misconceptions about taking accountability or apologies, and I think one of the intergenerational trauma misconceptions in this country especially is that an apology is a sign of weakness that if you admit when you're wrong that somehow 
you'll lose your pecking order in the pack. And I think it's 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 quite the contrary. From the work that I've done, I've noticed that my emotional and mental and spiritual resilience has become more grounded and firm the more that I'm able to hold myself accountable to myself and my values and my beliefs and then also be held accountable by the people around me if I caused harm and I'd say that apologies and accountability require tons of bravery and courage in the sense kind of in the in the way that Brene Brown defines courage which is like doing something vulnerable and being exposed because as we'll see later on part of an apology is giving the victim a choice about the degree to which they want you in your life their life after you've caused harm and that's that's ultimately terrifying right like if i lied to you and after i realized well i lied to you because i was scared that you were gonna be mad at me and that comes from a fear of abandonment or rejection so i've gotten clear about where it came from in myself I'm going to offer the apology say, hey, I'm sorry I lied to you. Is there anything I can do to make amends? And the person, the victim, always has the option to say no. Like, I just don't want you in my life. I don't trust liars. You lied to me once. We're done. Or the person could say, yeah, I'm, it's going to take a while to build back trust, but I'm willing to stay in relationship with you while you demonstrate that you can change these behaviors. And so, yeah, I, I think that apologizing and taking accountability takes a, a ton of courage because you're kind of you're kind of laying yourself down humbly at the other person's feet to a degree and so this list I'm going through these misconceptions come from psychology today the website I think they're a, a good overview of these these misconceptions around taking accountability um, So the next one is saying I'm sorry means that you accept blame for the problem. If you weren't at fault, you shouldn't apologize. Blame and fault are important notions for a legal proceeding, but they aren't helpful for making good relationships. Uh, you can decide to apologize simply because you care about the impact on the other person. So when I think about this, it's like there's so many things that are out of your control. You can have a way of joking with one group of friends or with your family that is agreed upon and it's it's received with with love and affection and it's like a, a game you play but that that way of speaking could hurt somebody else's feelings and so I think saying I'm sorry you just recognize that the other person can have like your behaviors can impact somebody even if there's no blame to be had really if it's not like if it's if, if, if part of it's out of your control um, the next one is this idea of intended harm um, 
if you didn't intend to harm somebody, they, they can't hold you accountable or you're, you're not to be blamed for that. If someone's hurt by a mistake, then you know you're kind of off the hook for taking accountability and I, I think this is the best example of this to me is if you're in the grocery store and say you turn around really quickly because you you forgot to grab some milk and you're in an aisle and you don't notice that there is a little old lady right behind you and you knock her over like I didn't push her over I didn't mean to cause her arm but my behavior directly impacted her and caused harm. And so to me, that example, it's like, of course, of course you can take accountability for knocking somebody down when you accidentally. And I think it's the same way. It gets a little bit more complex internally when we think about this in terms of emotions and motivations. You know, you can make a joke with somebody that is totally fine with one friend that hurts another friend's feelings. And if you if you meant it you know that that takes some internal soul searching if like oh wait underneath that I kind of yeah kind of subconsciously was being an asshole there kind of was judging you 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 can do that work but if your words cause harm it's your responsibility to address the, the impact of that so another myth around making apologies is that you're a nice person so you couldn't have done anything that hurt someone so this really gets into like ego if i believe that i'm too nice a person to hurt somebody's feelings that's that's just like a completely egoic narcissistic thought regardless of what kind of person you are like there's no good or bad people people aren't all one thing um if you want to stay in relationship with people it it healings needs to happen if you hurt them um oh this old line love means never having to say you're sorry uh yeah for me it's like that the complete opposite is true that that is like a 100 percent cinematic bullshit patriarchal myth the relationships that i have that are the deepest and the most stable like I think about my relationship with my sister, there's been tons of accountability there. And no matter how much I love my sister, if I say something that hurts her feelings, that's on me. And I need to address that. And that strengthens our trust one mistake at a time. Um... Another myth is to apologize well. All you have to do is say, I'm sorry. It's not It's not a complete apology, and I'll get to this a little bit later, but I think a lot of us as kids, it was like, as long as, long as it's like, I smashed my sister in the face with a ball while we're playing sports, and as long as I say, I'm sorry, I'm good. But there's nothing, those are just words. Like, you can kind of almost disassociate and not really have to deal with the fact that you feel bad if you just kind of leap to I'm sorry and you don't hear like, oh man, that really sucked for the victim or the person that was hurt. This is a really good one. The purpose of an apology is to get the other person to forgive you. An apology is not a demand forgiveness. It's a request for a conversation and a chance for you to take responsibility. 
Yeah, if you're apologizing to manipulate the other person, that's not a good look. That's just not, you know, we, I understand that, like, for me, like, I want to stay in relationship with people, but if I'm just doing that to get something out of it, that's like a double, it's like doubling down on the selfishness. And the purpose of an apology is to create connection and hear the impact of your behaviors on the other people. Feeling guilty about mistakes is pointless. Uh, yeah, I think that's a total myth because I think guilt is the feeling that I've done something wrong where shame is the feeling I am something wrong or there's something wrong with me pathologically. I think good guilt is how we learn a lot of lessons as children. You know, you learn that in the schoolhouse when you watch somebody else hurt somebody's feelings or you hurt somebody's feelings or do something like I think there are a lot of subtle ways that we pick on, up up on these social cues and that feeling responsible for your actions can lead to change in behaviors number 11 here making an apology doesn't help you it only benefits the person who has been hurt making a right making a wrong right takes a spiritual yeah it removes the guilt. It allows you to kind of clean the energetic slate between the two of you when you make an apology. Because I know for me, when I've caused harm, I usually, I usually feel bad. And so being able to be seen as someone who's capable of making mistakes and then being reaccepted and forgiven and given an opportunity to change my behavior to maintain that relationship. That to me is a fundamental component of being in relationship with other humans. Um, you've been hurt too, so you don't have to be the one to apologize. In an ongoing relationship, it's often the case that both people have felt hurt. You may long for an apology yourself, but you have a better chance of getting one if you first consider what you could apologize for. Yeah, this is just like, this one is just a, a childish myth. It's like uh, the idea that apologies are transactions, and if I give you one, you have to give me one. I don't think that's a healthy way to go about being in relationship with others. I think a lot of us are raised that things need to be fair despite how much this uh, country apparently hates socialism <laughs> it's like every kid at Christmas or every punishment between siblings had to be fair which is just really ironic to me like I think if you are the one who's repeatedly apologizing and your partner or your family member can't seem to take accountability that's probably a pretty good sign that something's out of balance, right? Because in almost every relationship, there are things that we do to each other. You know, we bump into each other, we're messy. We have confused psyches that like, sometimes do things that are erratic or out of character, out of alignment with our values. And thinking that it's a one for one, I just think it's, 
I think it's just a bit childish. Um, oh, it's not that big a deal, or just let sleeping dogs lie. Like, yeah, maybe some things aren't a big deal, but if, if, if it happens over and over again, it's really going to build up. can't change the past so there's no reason to revisit it I think that that like applies to I mean everything that's going on in this country around race it's like I'm not personally responsible for what I've done for what my ancestors did but I can take steps to change my behavior so people are less impacted by the racism that was rampant two generations ago a generation ago this generation I can continue to do work and do a thing called a living amends where I'm continually looking at my behavior and how that those could harm other people of other cultures. And so I think those are some of the some of the flyby myths about taking accountability, some of the flyby misconceptions. And I really think you know, a big point of wanting to do this is because I think that so many of us, and especially with the pandemic, we felt so cut off from one another. And I think the, the language online, language in the news and the media, there's always a good guy and a bad guy and a, a good them and a bad them and a sound clip to support something that's taken out of context. And so to really stay in relationship with other people, it takes doing this work and It, 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 it's hard work. It's not, it's not simple. It's going to require some level of introspection and contemplation. It's going to require some patience. It's going to require the support of like trusted people, whether it's a therapist or practicing this in safe community. But to do this work, you have to one of the, the foundational skills that I think you need to have to take accountability is that you need to be able to recognize your feelings. And I know there's a spectrum of this because I haven't always been able to identify my feelings. I've worked with students who haven't been able to identify their feelings. I've worked with adults. I've been in a relationship and I think a, a sign that you're having a hard time identifying your feelings is that you're acting out and then you're continually having to make amends or apologize or you feel cut off from people because your behaviors come online before you're aware of the emotions that are kind of fueling them. And so sitting and recognizing with your, your emotions is huge. And there's so many resources out there for this now. There's playing cards and coloring books and children's books like if you didn't get this in your childhood there's there's or in school there's no reason you should feel bad about that I think intergenerationally feelings weren't valued there's a new conversation around self-awareness that hasn't always been there there's a, a new societal contract emerging that I think asks or invites all of us to be in touch with how we feel and know how our behaviors then manifest from our feelings because that's kind of 
you know, we all have basic needs. And when those needs don't get met, we have feelings. And when we have feelings, those feelings translate into thoughts and behaviors. And so understanding, you know, it's like Socrates said, know thyself. It's like really getting to understand how the machine of you works. And part of that is learning how to sit with your feelings. And so there are lots of ways to practice being more aware of your emotions. I've done most of these. I when I sit down for my morning meditation, the first like 10 minutes is just identifying how I'm feeling coming into the day. I sit and I, you know, there's lots of things that I do there, but this is just an invaluable practice that I've, I've found for myself. And I've just seen the benefits of it when I've worked with teenagers. So you notice and name your feelings. And so if you don't know how to name a feeling, you could look at a list of feelings online and get a good idea of how complex a human emotional landscape can be. I remember one time I had this deck of cards that had probably 50 feelings in it and I was having something come up and I started laying them out. By the time I finished laying out these cards, I probably had 25 different feelings you know, it was like sadness, anger, frustration, judgment. And like when I saw them all in front of me, it was like, oh, no wonder I feel overwhelmed. Like, it's not like I'm just sad. I had so many things going on that it made it really difficult to access my frontal lobe. But it was kind of like as soon as I saw the list and I laid out and was able to like visualize how I was feeling. It really helped me kind of get in touch with like my body and have some empathy for how overwhelmed I felt in that moment. And so you can just notice like the temperature in your body, your heart rate, is your breathing shallow? If you shut your eyes, is there a color? You know, you can do like a body scan uh, all these things kind of, for me, are really good gauges on how I'm doing. And you just kind of like, you just start to observe. You practice this idea of witnessing yourself outside of yourself. So you're not being manipulated by your feelings. You're just kind of sitting back and watching them. And a good way to, you know, this, this can be really overwhelming at first, is take some deep breaths. Just deep belly breath and, and you begin to kind of take your emotional temperature like what feelings am I aware of having right like you can do a list like how many do an inventory. How many feelings do I know exist? And then look at an online list of feelings and see how many you may not know you have yet or may not have the, the names for yet. Uh, you can figure out which feelings are the most prominent throughout your day. You know, if you break your day up into percentages, like what percentage of the day are you angry? I know for me, so much of my mental health is centered around this realization I had about eight years ago. I woke up one morning and I, I was laying in bed and I just noticed I wake up arguing with somebody in my head every morning. It could be anybody. It could be somebody from work. It could be my parents. It could be a partner. It could be the downstairs neighbor. I, I, I wake up 
angry and defensive and on edge and tense. And I was like, whoa, I should, I should take a look at this. This is, it was just how I was all the time. But all of a sudden I was like, I don't think I have to live like this. I don't think this is just the natural default setting for a human being is to wake up pissed and in a fight with somebody in your head. And so I, I really started looking at this about eight years ago. Um, so what's the most prominent? You know, am I content? Am I happy? Am I full of joy? Am I angry? How do I feel like when I start asking myself these questions? Do I get scared? I think that's a really natural impulse to starting to look at your emotions and your feelings because without the tools to be with the complexity of being a human, which I would say most of us aren't raised with, that it can be really overwhelming. So going slow, you know, picking one a day. This is like a process and not an event. This is a lifelong process of identifying your feelings and taking accountability. Um, you can also ask yourself, when did I become aware of this feeling? Oh, like after I had my fifth cup of coffee, I started feeling really anxious and angry. Maybe there's a reason. <laughs> oh, every time I go out drinking the next morning, I wake up depressed. Huh, maybe there's a reason. And like, I mean, so much of this is like super, can feel super obvious, but I think for so many of us, I was in therapy in my 20s and I was drinking quite a bit and the therapist was like, oh yeah, you're anxious all the time because you're drinking. You know, this is what alcohol does to your nervous system. This is what alcohol does to your brain. And I just was like, whoa, I had no clue, you know, like I, it was just, it was mind blowing. Um, you can also identify the things in your life that you know get a high emotional rise out of you. Like if going to the grocery store is terrifying, if calling your parent is terrifying, if uh, like what, you know, if having, if saying what you need to your boss, if you're like, yeah, I really can't work in this room because the lighting in here is, it makes it really hard for me to focus. If that's terrifying, you identify like what's stressful. And I can't, I can't, I can't overstress how important having a therapist throughout this process is um, because they help you reflect back to yourself what you're learning about yourself. You know, they're a good mirror. And they'll work with you and be patient if you're like, I don't know how I feel, which so many times still to this day, I'll be sitting, I'm like, I don't, I'm not totally sure how I feel. I'm just kind of like zoned out on my phone. Like, I don't know what's going on. Maybe I should take a deep breath and figure it out. If you don't know how you feel, you can like, if the nuances of that feel overwhelming, you can just ask yourself a little bit more simple questions like, how is my job going? How is my home life? Um, am I getting along with my partner, my children, my parents, my siblings, my friends? How am I doing at my work? Am I enjoying my work? Am I getting along with my coworkers? Um, what am I learning about myself by being around them? You know, can I see validity in what they're saying? You know, if 
if I start to get the impression that everybody thinks I'm coming in hot because I send all these emotionally charged emails, maybe I should listen to that. Um, look, and you're looking for these patterns, and then you start to explore them. Because really all the universe is, in my experience, and is just a series of patterns that come and go. There's the pattern of sadness. There's the pattern of anger. There's the pattern of joy. You know, I don't know if any of you have heard this, but you can like, you know, this idea in meditation that you're the sky and your emotions are clouds and some of them are pass over easily and sometimes they're storms. Um, but look at these patterns and like, what do they tell you? And then note, this is a really important one. If you start judging what you feel, you know, if like you start beating yourself up for... for making really simple mistakes. You know, we all make mistakes. Drop a cup of coffee. If you're hard on yourself, notice if you're, you know, oh, I'm sad. And then you're like, well, I shouldn't be sad. There's so many people with it worse. That's a pretty good sign that you're judging what you feel. You know, like, yes, there are people who have it better or worse than you at any moment, at any time, right? Like somebody who's living in poverty could be, you know, like who's experiencing homelessness could be having the most joyful experience they've ever had right now. And similarly, somebody living in a mansion could be having a really rough day, you know? Um, and so if you're like kind of holding yourself to the standard that I shouldn't feel this way it's a pretty good sign that like maybe there's like maybe there's a part of yourself that wants to be looked at and held like like feelings just simply happen you can't you know Thich Nhat Hanh Socrates whoever these people you know for thousands of years people have been saying like it's just a byproduct of being alive and to me that really helps depersonalize feelings it's like I have a brain and a body and if I eat something bad it can affect my brain and then like basically what happens is like I outgas emotions <laughs> you know like my my physical frame then you know if I drink too much coffee my brain and my body outgas a bit of anxiety and a little jitteriness it's not personal it's not like a character defect there's kind of a, a mechanical piece to this that if I hang out in a room full of really drunk people I start to get nervous you know they're 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 correlations and not causations here you know and you could talk about your feelings with safe people you know you can Go to places where other people allow you to have a feeling without making it about them, you know, where they just listen and say, yeah, that sounds hard or, oh, yeah, that sounds like a really wonderful experience or, oh, that sounds confusing, you know. Um, you can tracking an emotion like throughout the day, like what does. A good one for me was like I, I really noticed like I like lots of neurodivergent people or people who've experienced trauma I struggle like transitions can be overwhelming for me so getting ready to leave the house in the morning 
can really kind of spin me about, you know, like get my keys, make sure my pants are on, my zipper's up, I brush my teeth, I did all this, I get myself, I get my, do I have my water, do I have my dog, I have to go to my car. So like that whole process before I leave, while I'm leaving, getting in the car, I started noticing in myself, like just that one little thing I was observing, I get a lot of, there's a lot of stress there and that stress manifests itself as frustration and anger. So it could be frustration with other people, it could be frustration with things that are out of my control, like traffic. And so just tracking like either an emotion or a time of day or an activity, you know, when I was doing behavioral observations for students, I would watch them in class, I'd watch them in different classes, I'd watch them in the hallways, I'd watch how they did the first 10 minutes of class, how they did the last 10 minutes of class, and really starting to get analytical and kind of data-driven with yourself about how these things come up. Um, you can learn new words for feelings, like I mentioned the deck. You can keep a feelings journal, or you just start to explore your feelings, like the root of them, what brought them up, you know. When I got that, what would be a good one? Here's what I've been doing lately, like online dating. So when I get a message in online dating, I start to get this dopamine hit, like, oh, somebody wrote me. Somebody's interested in me. I like get excited. I feel a little bit nervous. I get a little bit wound up. And then I'm like kind of tense for the next 10 minutes thinking about what I'm going to say back. And so just that one little thing, like I notice, like, okay, if I... If that's fun for me and exciting, yeah, keep engaging in it. But if that's an overwhelming, stressful thing, if like I don't hear back from the person and then I, you know, feel like shit, you know, maybe that's worth taking a look at my feelings around partnership or my feelings around dating and doing that with a therapist. It can be really wonderful. And so You can do all these things. You can like look for feelings in songs. Like, was that a happy song? Was that a sad song? Was there something I identify with? You can do it in movies and in books. And I think having this kind of just working understanding of how you're feeling, right? Because there's no perfection here. There's, you know, maybe there's enlightenment where you don't, none of those feelings manifest themselves in behaviors and you just watch them with equanimity, but you know, most of us aren't there. <laughs> and so it's an ongoing process that I think being honest with ourselves and honest with each other, it for me it creates a lot of patience for myself, patience for other people. And so it's one of the most important aspects to taking accountability is understanding yourself. And so when we think about taking accountability, Somebody, we have a, a scenario, and in this scenario, person A has caused harm to person B. And so to, to take accountability, there's an aspect of person A, the, the person who's caused the harm, doing the work to understand why they did what they did. Doing the work to understand your values and your beliefs and so you, being the person who's caused harm you do 
kind of this inventory of the circumstances in which you caused the harm. The person, you know, you reflect about it a bit. And then, yeah, hopefully the goal would be is that you get to a point where you can sit down with the person you've caused harm. And this isn't always possible, right? There's lots of different kinds of harm. There's incredible physical violence, verbal violence. There's accidental emotional bump-ins. There's misspeaking. There's, you know, forgetfulness. There's thoughtlessness there's so many this is a, a, such a huge gradient of intensity when we think about making amends and so I, i'm really talking about kind of just the middle of the road accidental harm you know and this can be applied to serious harm but i would say that those more serious whether it's like sexual assault or trauma you know like those things you definitely need support for those but so person a gets to a point where they know what they did They've thought about the impact of that on the other person because they're aware of their emotions. Like, I bet when I lie to you, that makes you feel unsafe because I know that when people lie to me, I, I don't feel like they're consistent. I start to worry and spend a lot of emotional energy wondering if it's going to happen again. And so you, you do the work and you get to, I'm sorry, I did blank. And... So you have the apology, which is just the right the the one piece of it. It's it's part one of three or four. But there's been all this back work done leading up to that. Um, I think so often, you know, like especially what we see online now is people will apologize just to get out of the media spotlight, you know, for a day. And it's like, did anything really happen there? Is that just kind of like I said, sorry, aren't we good? Which. If you've ever received one of those apologies, they just don't really hold any weight. And then you get in to making amends, which is kind of like, to me, it's like the richest, juiciest part is you, you make amends. You acknowledge and align your values to your actions by admitting the wrongdoing and then living by your principles. Like you change your behavior to regain the trust of that person. You know, in the, ex in the example of little old ladies everywhere who've been knocked over time and time again in this thought experiment. Instead of being so impetuous in the grocery store when I forget something and spring down like I think that, you know, my need to have milk in that moment is the most important thing in the world. I pause, I take a deep breath and I turn and look around and make sure I don't knock over any more old ladies. <laughs> you know, like you, you know that deep down you don't want to hurt old people you admit that that time that i knocked down that little lady was really fucked up and then you start to live by this 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 changed attitude towards yourself and your behavior and so you know by understanding your feelings you can begin to understand your behavior you can begin to see the triggers you can begin to see the inciting events you can begin to see the long-term history of where that behavior came from you know was that something you learned from your parents that they learned from their parents is that something you learned from society you start to understand the root you start to look for the root of that at least for me i have 
that's, that's been my approach is you understand the behavior a little bit more thoroughly because then it kind of helps me understand myself. It helps me give myself this forgiveness. It helps me be accountable to myself. Um, and then the next piece is you really have to understand the impact. You know, it takes some emotional intelligence, which is like any other kind of intelligence that can be worked at unless you're, you know, diagnosed clinically that you, you know, this has been verified by numerous people. I would want this verified by numerous people that I was a sociopath or just an unrelenting narcissist. I wouldn't want just one diagnosis or some like work or online quiz to tell me this. Like you understand, you take the time to understand and develop and cultivate empathy like if I if somebody did this to me how would I feel right this is a really important lesson we give children that I think we need to continue to work on at least I do as an adult that if I don't understand how something I I did impacted somebody or have like done some prep thinking about it before I get to the apology then it might be a sign that you're showing up ready for a fight or an argument. You know, you have to be willing to hear the impact because I'll never know what anybody else's internal state is like or what their trauma is like or their history or their life or what they had to eat that day. So I, even if I didn't mean to cause harm by it, like say I misspoke and said something hurtful, and the day before it didn't hurt the person's feelings and today it hurts the, their feelings. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong or that person is inconsistent. It just means that they're, we're all different people day by day and that I can take a moment to hear the impact of my behavior on the other person. And then, you know, really this is, this is the trust piece is that it's an ongoing you know, accountability is an ongoing action of, do, of taking steps to make things as right as possible. Like if you've been consistently verbally abusive to somebody, acknowledging that an apology doesn't just clean the slate, it takes time to rebuild trust. It takes consistent behavior in alignment with your new values or beliefs or in alignment with the feedback you've received about how your speech or actions impact somebody. And so this is like, you know, this can, this can create really beautifully honest relationships. And I love it because it, it it's allowed me to see myself as a whole person, as somebody who's neither good nor bad. I'm, I'm just a person giving this a shot. And I'm not going to be great to everybody, but the people that I choose and want to be around me, I really want to be able to do this work so that I can maintain those relationships. I don't want to, you know, especially after the pandemic, like I know what, the mental impact of being isolated is on me and I I choose to do this work which is messy and confusing because it keeps to me it meets a fundamental need of being in relationship to other people which I think we all have on some level and so 
when I think about this podcast that I was going to release about cancel culture and Joe Rogan, I think kind of the, the snippet that I would offer here, and I, I doubt I'll release that podcast, that we've always been afraid of being kicked out or rejected. That was, this is one of our basic fears, and I talked about it in the first three episodes. The fear of separation, the fear of ego death, the fear of uh, being abandoned. Because we are such social creatures, I think that that's, that's something that we all have in common in the way it manifests and the way it, where it came from that's all incredibly unique and individual. But I think we all share this fear of, of screwing up so bad that we can't come back from it. And, you know, I, I have so many, so many adolescent anxiety thoughts. You know, if I, if I stand up and just start screaming all of the bad words that I know you never are supposed to say in the middle of this history class and in, in junior year, everyone in this entire school will hate me and I will die. You know, like that's really the thought process. So I think this is like something that doesn't quite go away. And I think that's why taking accountability can be so scary because it's an it's an invitation to stay in relationship with each other. And I just don't see any way around around that. Yeah, I think there's so many things in our society right now that I see people wanting somebody to be held accountable for. And that's kind of the end of the discussion because of the way the news cycle and social media work. But we really need this last piece of like letting them change their behavior. And so in the, the, the instance of Joe Rogan, this isn't like something that just goes away. It's like demonstrate that you've changed your behavior. You know, you're being consciously racist. You've heard how it impacts people. You've said, sorry, now show how your behavior is changing to make this right. And... And I hope that we can have more of that. You know, the capitalism and the news cycle, they don't, clickbait doesn't operate that way. Like you're not gonna click on something that isn't, you know, here we are two months into Joe Rogan's uh, internal examination into uh, his own internal racism and subconscious racism and conscious racism. And here he is trying to look at issue X. You know, like we don't have the attention span for that because of like, the, that's not the way the media works. And so remembering that like the stuff that we're seeing online is meant to fuel the separation and the work that we can do inside of ourselves to take accountability with ourselves and hold ourselves accountable to our behaviors and our beliefs so that we're not experiencing cognitive dissonance. And so we can be accountable to one another so that we can live together in a society. You know, that's that's the world I want to live in. And so, so many of these things, you know, within, within the context of just like the patriarchy, you know, this idea that your parents are always right or these biblical hangovers that really don't 
they're not applicable like we we've just we're we've grown and we have different understandings of how we operate and so nobody's always right nobody's always anything there's a little horn action you know we're all capable of mistakes and to be and stay in relationship with each other I just think accountability accountability is incredibly important and it's it's given me the most beautiful relationship which is a relationship with myself and being honest with myself because honesty is one of my values it's one of my deepest values and it's allowed me to forgive myself it's allowed me to forgive others it's allowed me to create empathy and live in a more compassionate world internally and it would be my prayer that that translates externally and so that's it that's that that was my little my little exploration into accountability i hope you got something from that i hope that that was coherent and cohesive and i hope that you're just having a pretty a pretty good week if you're here in colorado i hope you're staying warm i hope that i hope that this finds you well this is a crowdfunded listener supported podcast so i depend on my patrons i depend on you guys for financial support so if you feel like you got something from this and you have a little bit extra to spare you can go over to my patreon page www.patreon.com forward slash turning of the bones you can visit my website there's a link there you can share like follow subscribe share it on social media with your friends word of mouth i love some word of mouth and yeah, I just really appreciate you all being here. And if you don't, if you're not supporting financially, don't worry about it. This is, like Blind Boy says, a model based on soundness. If you get a chance, go over and listen to the Blind Boy podcast. It's still amazing. He's in like third or fourth year of making that, and it's still incredible. But he says it's a model based on soundness where if you can support, great. Somebody else is getting something. If you can't, great. Somebody else is paying for you. And just thank you for supporting this. Thank you for being patient when I have technical difficulties. I thought about you guys every day between then and now, trying to get this one prepped and ready to go. Fingers crossed today. There are no glitches. I can get this out, and we're going to get you another one on Friday. We'll try and find something fun to talk about, something uh, less mental healthy, maybe something topical. So I hope you all have a beautiful week. Hope you've had a beautiful weekend. Thank you so much. Be well. Turning of the bones. Bye now. <laughs>